Renji Bajoy, the CEO and founder of Immerse, coming at us live from Austin, Texas. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. <laughs> uh, maybe you can get started by giving us a one-minute overview of what you're building with Immerse. Yeah, so um, we're the most used AR VR app on the planet um, by God's grace. It's I didn't a very, know that. That's yeah, amazing. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's insane milestone. Um, essentially, what it is is we're partnered with all the AR VR tech giants on mixed reality or virtual reality offices, right? So uh, we kind of get to cheat the user usage system from the standpoint of people are working in our app, right? They're not playing games. It's not entertainment, and so we're not just trying to get people to like watch more movies or play more games. For us, it's people are just doing their day job and they're doing that in our app. So because of that, users by default, you know, will work 40, 50 hours a week every week with a headset on with their multiple virtual screens. They'll have their coworkers in there. They'll whiteboard together. The multi-screen share together. Coders will code together. Designers will design together. And so, uh, you know, we have the most amount of usage just because, uh, yeah, it's a work app. So, uh, and it's really exciting because Monday after next, Apple apparently is going to be announcing their headset. And I just feel like, man, we're, and their headset is not a gaming headset. And so we're kind of at the uh, core of practical use cases for everyday people for AR, VR. So super excited and super grateful. A lot of people work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so take us back to the beginning, man. Like when, when did you launch the company? We've known each other for a number of years, but I, I couldn't tell you, I couldn't say when, when you guys launched it. So when was that? And, and talk us through the, the kind of, you know, the founding uh, story. How do you have the idea and how do you come to get it off the ground? Yeah, so uh, I started Immerse back in January 2017. So a year and four months, um, or sorry, a year, six years and four <laughs> months. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's gone by real quick. Yeah, it's it's what I realized was every software development team I'd ever been on or had led more and more people back in you know, 2014, 15, 16, uh, and 17 onwards, like just more and more people, especially in the software development world, were starting to work from home. And I knew that though it, at the time it wasn't a big problem, I knew it would become increasingly more common and just getting people to collaborate effectively using video conferencing and chat, especially with Skype back then and uh, Slack was starting to get off the ground. It just wasn't the state of the art of how do I get you know my team together for us to actually like be around all of our computer screens and whiteboard together and all of that. And so uh, back then, very few companies even allowed you to, to work from home. I didn't know that you know COVID would hit and everyone would have to work from home. But so I kind of set out to uh, learn about virtual reality. I didn't have a background in virtual reality at all. I had a background in yeah web architecture uh, and and kind of for these larger Fortune 500 companies. But then I decided to quit that and focus on a PhD in computer vision, machine learning from Georgia Tech. So self-driving cars, autonomous drones, things like that. But I realized research was just taking way too long, and that's just not what I'm interested in doing long term. And so after about two and a half years of quit that, and then I started Immersed, which was in 2017. And so we had gotten accepted to actually YC and Techstars. We're finalists of both. And YC, as you know, is just more product focused, which is good. Um, but I had a very strong product background, whereas I knew I was very weak on everything else for business, like legal, hiring, finance, fundraising, marketing, etc. And Techstars, their pitch to me was, they can help round me out as a CEO. And so uh, I decided to go through Techstars in 2017, and specifically in the Chicago program. Um, our managing director was Logan Lahai, brilliant founder. He had raised $40, uh, $40 million with Andreessen Horowitz back in his day. Um, and he built a, a great company. And so uh, being under his leadership was awesome, extremely refining. He was very, very hard with us, but it really uh, is what we needed to become strong founders. Um, so yeah, fast forward uh, two, three years of just heads down R&D. How do I get, you know, essentially this thing on my face to be able to have virtual screens uh, that spawn off of my laptop. And uh, yeah, by 2020, when COVID had hit, that's when everyone started working from home, way more people started Googling, I guess, virtual office solutions. And just our web mm. tra traffic went from like 2000, you know, monthly hits to like 200,000 out of nowhere, just like overnight, essentially. Wow. And I didn't do anything <laughs> like that was COVID, man. Uh, so I will say that uh, I think the only thing I can give myself credit for was um, back when I had identified that this is going to be uh, eventually an increasingly big problem. Um, I didn't know that COVID would be the catalyst for that. But I, did, I will say that you know, COVID, COVID did help accelerate it. But I think it was inevitable anyway, just because people want freedom. And, and as far as the, the way kind of people's momentum is going is more towards not being tied down to something and having more uh, optionality. And so working from home uh, was becoming more common. So uh, fast forward to today, I mean, we've raised about 12 million bucks to date. Um, we're in the process of raising more, but I'll tell you about that offline. <laughs> and like, there's a uh, really excited about kind of the future of what we're working on. Um, just because th there's a lot more than just being an application on these different tech giants headsets. I think that it'll probably be 
four or five years before Johnny Price puts on a pair of Apple glasses or Facebook glasses. And we don't want to wait four or five years. We want to be able to push that faster. So there's a lot of stuff working on behind the scenes to uh, make that a reality sooner. That's awesome, man. That's a great kind of overview of the story. And obviously, it sounds like, yeah, you were, COVID was kind of an inflection point. Obviously, everyone goes remote. That's like absolutely, you know, what you do. You mentioned the organic traffic, though. Like, there's a great quote about luck, right? I can't, I'm going to butcher it, but it's like, you know, luck is like, if you work super hard, then you put yourself in the position where then when the kind of opportunity strikes, you're there. Yeah. And it, it looks like luck, but it took a lot of hard work to get to that point. Obviously, you had the product, but like, had you, was, it sounds like maybe SEO was like a really important channel for you guys. Like, had you put a lot of work into that? Any kind of tips or advice for folks on like, you know, kind of how important that is as a channel strategy, growth strategy, firstly, and then secondly, any, you know, tips on how to, you know, uh, maximize the effectiveness of that channel? Yeah. So, I mean, I would say that a lot of people try to uh, try to just like strike goal or, or, or uh, whatever you want to, what phrase you want to use, strike lightning, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> like they want yeah. lightning to strike twice. It's like when I think about growth, I don't think, or, or, or channeling traffic to your product, I don't think about it as just having one massive PR push and you're done. I see mm. it as a discipline that needs to be consistent over the course of time. And so for our team... Just, just to be clear, when you say that it's not... Yeah, well, I don't know what the phrase is, is either. Silver bullet, maybe? Is that what we're looking for? Yeah, that's probably... That's, you, yeah, go away. When you say it's like not a silver bullet, it's not just like one campaign. Are you speaking there about kind of, you know, SEO and and kind of almost like PR? Or are you speaking like at, as a one kind of growth strategy? Or are you talking about growth in its entirety? Uh, I think, yeah. So I would say more from a macro standpoint in its entirety, like almost like the heart behind a lot of these um, successful endeavors, whether it be growth or product market fit, or even just building a prototype, whatever it is, consistency over the course of time, uh, and co continually co coming back. And like, um, I think it was Gary Tan who had like a YouTube video, he talked about uh, lead bullets versus silver bullets, right? Mm, and yeah. his perspective on uh, hitting product market fit is going to be this iterative process where it's lead bullet after lead bullet after lead bullet, and eventually you'll start seeing insane growth, as opposed to I think a lot of people, they um, just assume from the outside looking in that, you know, once you get your big break on on whatever news channel that everyone's using your app and it explodes. And it's like, that's not really how this type of stuff works. Likewise with SEO, it's not like we had some sort of big break or something and then everything happened. Uh, in order to even prep for what ended up happening with COVID, the way that we got there or the way that people ended up coming to our website versus any of the competitors was um, we made a strong, we had a strong discipline of consistently posting on Reddit all of our feature updates, but not just like spamming people, but rather uh, crafting the message in such a way that you're aligning people's incentives or, or things that they're entertained by along with your agenda, right? Meaning the feature updates that we uh, pushed out were things that were either entertaining or funny or actually added value um, or intentionally controversial because people love arguing on the internet and things like that. And so uh, we made sure to do a good job uh, with every time we posted, we posted maybe so we would push updates to our application probably three times a day. And then we would make a kind of a, an effort to make a viral post on Reddit probably about mm. twice a week. And wow. some of these, and, you did, and we did that for over the course of probably two years prior to COVID. And then when COVID had hit, when people started Googling kind of these, you know, virtual reality office solutions, whatever. Um, we had, by the way, like uh, when COVID had hit, we had probably about 40 competitors in the space. Fast forward to, you know, another year into COVID, probably about 120 competitors. And so just a wow. ton of people started entering the space. Um, but, uh, you know, by God's grace, we had uh, stayed as sort of the, the top product, and not only from a product standpoint, but also from uh, an SEO standpoint and, and, and a brand name standpoint, all of that just because people yeah just people on my team made sure to be very consistent with being intentional with pushing features all the time and then that allows us to push content all the time that allows us to make posts so we can then put that content on etc and so the discipline's important it compounds over the course of time um and uh very seldom do you ever have really um any aspect of a startup that would be just sort of a big break out of nowhere though sometimes things like covid do happen and that can mm. accelerate or it can also kill your company so um yeah obviously a lot of a lot of companies covid was uh not yeah yeah uh, a good good thing in a bunch of ways but so okay so um you mentioned there obviously seo and the, the red reddit almost sounds like kind of yeah a community of users that were you were pushing content out to and building engagement with and they would share it too yeah to make it compound 
any tips on how to kind of how you built that community and you you talked a little bit about this already like consistency sounds like was key like you're push, pushing product features so there's actually something there that you're that you're pushing out there versus just kind of smoke and mirrors like marketing yeah. stuff but any yeah. other any other tips on because and and this was like very noticeable with the community round that you did with us as well where you raised five million dollars very very quickly and i feel like probably some of the similar tactics that maybe you learned and were implementing on the kind of you know go to market side the marketing side like you were kind of using those for the we fund the campaign but very similar so you, yep. you're clearly a master of it so <laughs> what are what are some of the what are some of the the tips and tricks of wrenching yeah. the joy in terms of how to build community <laughs> right. and and yeah so i mean I, I will say that i think that naturally i'm a highly relational person uh well i, I want uh, you know maybe not naturally um i guess what i mean by that is like it is something that like i feel like everyone is born with to a certain extent and then the question is how much do they let that mature right how much do they grow that how much do they water that and so for me because you know i mean so i you know i became a christian when i was 19 but before that in high school i was just an idiot jock type jerk dude at school who just like i everyone knew my name but i don't really give a crap about people um i just like if you were if you had something that you could offer me then i'd be cool with having a relationship with you so it's very selfish consumeristic whatever but i did learn the skill of uh remembering people's names and the skill of in the moment, though it was very selfish, mainly just essentially having one touch point with like a hundred people just to make sure that if I ever needed anything from them, I could get it when they did. So it was very actually selfish. <laughs> and then when it became a Christian when I was 19, I apologized to like literally like a thousand people saying sorry for who I was. But I, I was really convicted around the way that I behaved around people. Instead of actually caring about the individuals, I just cared about what they could give me. And, the, and, and, and it kind of shifted gears towards, okay, well, now I do care about people at scale. And I actually do have a lot of interactions with people, not all day, every day, but as much as I possibly can to kind of sacrifice my time and to, to sort of help people. And I think that as you do that over the course of time, uh, and you do that with a lot of different people, right? So meaning, as I was going through Techstars, other founders just wanted someone to talk to because they all needed someone to vent to, and I was willing to be a listening ear. Or uh, as I was going through undergrad, and people had a, a hard time with their homework, I would help them with homework or, uh, you know, needed also a therapist, whatever. Like, I guess I was, I've always been a person that people would come to when they needed something um, or when they needed help. And so without me ask, actually needing something in return, I just always added value, add value, add value. Um, and I was always responsive. So that's another thing. Like um, I am highly uh, responsive and communicative. Whenever people DM me on Instagram or message me on, or respond to, uh, message something on Twitter, email, whatever, I'm an inbox zero type of person. I try to get to inbox zero by the end of the day. Uh, and so people always get a response from me if not within 24 hours, within 48 hours. So all that to say, like, over the course of a decade, I've always had this sort of desire to be responsive and reliable to people. And I guess well, the reason why this matters is when it came to users on Reddit, commenting on our stuff and reposting our stuff and all of that, it was mainly out of a heart of them having a relationship with me. So it sounds weird. I'm not best friends with thousands of people, but I'm like familiar with uh, familiar with people. Not, maybe not familiar, not, not like closely familiar with the, with a thousand people, but like I recognize your name, I recognize your face. We talked at one point before, and I care to make you feel loved and cared for in that moment. And that really does have an impact on people if you do that with all of your interactions at scale. It can be exhausting, but if you figure out a way to enjoy it, then it's something that actually is very energizing. So, anyways, going back to the original topic, if you do that on Reddit, you do that on LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, you do that with your users. Well, now you're just building a large network of people who, whenever you need something, uh, they not only want to help you, but they also trust you. And so when it comes to raising this community round that we did, it was the the summer 2020, the 2 million bucks in two days. And then March 2021, the 8 million bucks in two weeks that people think it was just like, oh, he just posted on WeFunder and it exploded. It's like, that's not, that's not what happened. Uh, it was priming the pump for years in advance. And then, you know, obviously there's a lot more intentionality behind that. We can kind of get into that if that's uh, interesting to you. But we did have people who really, really trusted me, who then had other people who trusted them, who had people who trusted them, who had people who trusted them. And it just sort of went viral from there. Uh, so all that to say, like, I think the ultimate organic growth hack, I would say is having a growth squad of people around you who is really um, desiring to help you out when you need it, but also at the same time, being good at building products that people actually care about. But again, that empathy or that, that, that heart of care behind the scenes is really important. You're going to want to build a product that people actually love if you give a crap about them. <laughs> right. And so um, all that to say, like, if you're really good at understanding people, um, then you could be really good at building product and growing it. I love that. What a beautiful answer because basically like how do you how do you get good at growth? You like are genuine in, you know, 
kind of being helpful and you know trying trying to help people like which if if that's true um it's basically like karma it's like yeah <laughs> belief in karma and you know what goes around comes around and what an amazing answer well, I- I would also add to that that like it's almost like if you know what know and care about what people care about, then you'll start getting really good at the puzzle or solving the puzzle of how do you align incentives. Meaning, if you're just pushing your agenda out, you're if you know your users at all or your followers at all, you know that they're not just trying to pay you money all the time. Like that's not that they're not incentivized to do that. They are incentivized. They're, they're, they're less interested in your content than yeah. you are. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. And so it has to be something that gives them joy. It has to be something that. Um, they're incentivized to come alongside and help. And so if you get really good at solving that puzzle, not only your agenda, but theirs and figuring out a way to align it. Um, and, and by the way, that's that's honestly one of like my biggest lessons in life is learning how to do that with your team, getting these brilliant people around you who all have different opinions on which direction to go, but getting all of them to have their incentives aligned and go in the same direction or your users or your investors or whatever. If you figure out how to do that, you can kind of just get really good at <laughs> you know, empowering people to empower you to, to, to achieve your mission. Love that. I could go in so many different directions from what you just said. I, th- I think it's a really kind of powerful and beautiful beautiful uh answer to that question and it's like yeah what, what's the key to growth basically be a good person that's yeah. the episode <laughs> that's the episode title right there but two kind of obvious questions jump out from that they're kind of related the first is um i feel like a lot of people probably listening are like but wait i don't have time to do that like i i actually need to spend my precious time like you know doing building my startup not like helping these other people and maybe it comes around but like it probably only comes around like in the very long term and yikes that's the long way away and then secondly a little more more kind of you know pragmatically like okay what are the what are some of the tips that you can do that in an efficient way and like you mentioned inbox zero are there any kind of life hacks or productivity hacks where you can both be an incredible you know ceo and leader for immersed but also you know putting like good vibes out into the universe yeah for sure so for, for the first part, I would say that it, it, the order of operations does matter. So um, if you are a first-time founder, you probably shouldn't spend a ton of time help, helping other people with their startups because you yourself don't know what you're doing. And so you kind of just need to work on your product, help users, and, and you're, you're mainly building a network and relationships with users, right? And so not just like spending all day every day just on the phone with them, but specifically um, trying to create a better product so that their life will be better right? So caring about users first. And as your startup starts to have some level of traction, um, sure, there'll be some founders here and there who uh, you'll be able to advise and help and all of that for free. Um, but I think it's just a, um, a a frame of thinking or a, a mode of life, if that makes sense, where uh, just by default, no matter what it is, whoever you come across at any point, you're constantly, yeah, you're, you're constantly just in a mode of wanting to add value based off of caring for them. So meaning if you take the perspective of, of a founder who says, well, I can't help all the people, other people because I'm doing my thing. And by the way, that's very true very valid and and me too right like i'm not always helping people all the time i'm not looking for people to help it's just because of how almost spontaneous life is you will come across people and you have a choice you could either be like hey i don't have time for this right now or you can add value at least in little ways i'm not saying to just like you know throw you know put throw away all your other meetings today or your product focused stuff or your user interviews or whatever and to go help this one person for the entire day i am saying almost take a uh i mean i don't want to give a like a stock or, or day trading type analogy or like a it's almost like a this is the weirdest phrase ever but life is sort of like a a probability distribution in the sense where hmm. like um based on how much you think it makes sense for you you have to use discernment here how much you think it makes sense for you to put some time towards it at least do something most of the time it's a non-zero answer it's not oh just report spam ignore i mean unless you get spammed if, if it's just Cold, pe- cold people trying to sell you stuff in your email, of course, report spam, block, whatever, that's fine. But if it's genuine people who are asking for genuine help, even if you can't spend an hour with them, say, hey, by the way, I'm like, I'm flooded today. Can you do, you know, week after next 30 minutes, that sort of thing. And learning how to time box your stuff. But like you mentioned, there's a ton of tips and tricks and things that uh, I've learned over the years. And a lot yeah. of people have uh, learned that enable them to manage that, right? Some people use the, uh, the email client called Superhuman. I, I don't anymore. I did during fundraising season because that was just way too much volume. I couldn't really do do that very easily. But I use Gmail and I use uh, specifically, a lot of people don't use this, but you should, uh, Google Tasks, right? So it plugs into your email and your calendar. And whenever there's an email I need to get back to on a certain date, at the very top of your email, there's like this little check mark. Click that. It adds that email to your task and you can put a date on it. So it reminds you like when it's time for you to actually get or to respond to this certain thing. All I have to say, like, 
there are little tricks like that that are important to have a framework in place to be able to prioritize who to, 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 to spend time with and who to at least give a little bit of a nugget and then move on with time. So all that to say, like, if in general you have a mode of, I'm, I want to add at least a little bit of value to everyone, then it actually is very manageable. You just have to know when to average in and average out in certain relationships. So that does, that's a little bit more of the art side rather than the science side, but there is actually a lot of science to it too, which is um, if this is a founder who uh, just need, you know, if they say, hey, can I have uh, an hour of your time to uh, do a podcast and it's not Johnny Price, if it's just like a random person, you go to the profile, they have 20 followers. It's probably not a good use of your time saying, hey, just because of sheer volume, you know, maybe I could do like a 15 minute thing, but I can't commit to a whole hour, uh, at least not in this season of time. And so most people, at least if you respond and give them something, they usually have a good response back. Love that. What, going back to another thing you said earlier, kind of aligning the incentives of your team. Can you talk a little more about how you do that? practically you in my mind and for people listening like me and Renji have known each other for a few years and like yeah what what he's saying here is is definitely very valid like i know so many founders and not just founders but like people in the startup ecosystem like people we mutually know and unanimously everyone is like Renji was unbelievably helpful he like probably (laughs) more than like any founder and i i've you know interacted with probably thousands of founders over the last five years that we found there like you would probably be the number one that like so (laughs) many people have been like Renji was incredibly helpful like you've referred a ton of people to WeFunder like and so it yeah it's it's very valid what you're saying here and and the and kind of related to the question I'm asking here like I just I don't know why I think this because I I haven't observed you super closely as like a leader of your team I think it's from the content that you put out there you're like super vulnerable super transparent like with the stuff you post like on LinkedIn for example and so I think you're you're a very kind of qualified person to answer this question about leadership but yeah how do you um I I guess the broader question is like you know tips for being a great leader but you mentioned specifically incentives and aligning incentives for your team so I'm wondering if you have examples of how you do that as well yeah well so I mean something that I've even just come across recently is like kind of like a red flag whenever I uh, talk with different leaders is if they can't if they don't know how to apologize or say sorry like it's probably not a leader that has learned how to mature or grow and like you, you know you, you probably heard the phrase investors invest in lines not do, not dots mm-hmm. meaning like it doesn't matter where you're at today it matters how you know, where you're trading right. what your growth rate is mm-hmm. and if you are not maturing as an individual if you've get, gotten to know someone and you've never heard them even once apologize for something especially if they have been in the wrong um, yeah it's just yeah, I will say that I think a lot of people on my team and, and even candidates that we interview and end up hiring, uh, a, a large number, number of them have said, I, you know, I'm choosing this job, which, uh, by the way, Immerse does not pay well, very intentionally. <laughs> people have been getting paid at other jobs or previous jobs, 300 to 700K elsewhere. They'll come to Immerse for like a 90 or 100 or 120K paycheck, uh, taking 60 to 85% pay cuts, which sounds crazy. But the reason why they do that is because we incentivize them with equity. And the reason why that matters, it, it sounds kind of, you know, trite or whatever, but I, I personally err more uh, err on the side of generosity for equity because I want people to be on the same page with each other too. Like equity is a very strong uh, mechanism to get people to get on the same page because here's an example. If you're of the culture of the uh, habit of stepping on your peers to get to the top, well, the price per share of your equity is, is identical to your coworker. And there's no way in which you're going to have more valuable uh, shares than someone else. And so it's not a matter of stepping to, like you all need to be lifted up together. And so one of the values at our company is elevate others. I, I love I love our company's values. It's, it's, it's so funny because uh, the acronym is BEAST. And so <laughs> it's uh, be a founder elevate others, always be learning, ship it and target uh, target excellence. And so it's it's been really cool to see how, you know, number one, the types of people that we hire are people who take ownership. So, you know, being a founder, not just ownership and equity, but uh, this startup, like as a parent uh, takes care of their child in the middle of the night, a founder should do the same with their startup, right? So that's mm-hmm. kind of the types of founders that we're looking for. Uh, how how big the, are you guys now, by the way, people-wise? Uh, we're, we're only like 27-ish people. Uh, we're, like I mentioned, we're closing on this other round, which should kind of take us to a pretty massive um, number, uh, especially that, as that'll be really, that'll be really, I, I want to come back and do this podcast episode in, in a year yeah. or two, because yeah, I feel like that stage is, I don't know if you've seen this in other companies, but that stage of like 25, 30 to a hundred is like very hard to do. Yeah. I think, right. Yeah. It's like, I think it's going to be hard. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and that's like, why I'm trying to really invest in my leaders today. Like yes, my, the people who yes. are on my team right now, if they're going to be the leaders of this next sort of wave of yeah. employee hires, then yeah. I need them to be leaders who apologize, who have high EQ. And, and I, I was talking about someone uh, who I'm trying to recruit with. I was talking about this with them uh, yesterday as well. Like I was trying to better understand like, you know, 
on the elevate others uh, specific value that we have, even from a selfish standpoint and an altruistic standpoint. In both cases, if you're in a startup, my argument is that elevating other people is the ideal route for winning, right? From a game theory standpoint, meaning even like like if you think about um you know some sort of altruistic person who really just naturally cares about other people, other people are going to want to work with them, and they can kind of you know essentially work together, and, and and great outcomes come from teams, not from individuals. But then you look at the selfish type of person. At the end of the day, if they want their equity to be worth a lot of money, <laughs> they, they had to yeah. they have to figure out ways to get on the same page with people to execute anyway. So in both cases, anyways, going back to your uh, your original question of how do I align such as the people on my team? Like for me, like I know that a lot of people out there really like the idea of starting a startup or building the next Google or whatever, but we really do a, a very strong job of qualifying who we do end up hiring. So not only do we promote a certain type of value system or culture, startup culture, but we also protect that too. Meaning there's some people who just will not see eye to eye. And if they're not the type of, type of person who embodies these uh, core company values, then we just quite simply don't hire them, right? So regardless of where their skill is at, right? So like number one is culture fit values. Number two is their aptitude to learn new th- new things. And then number three is where is their skill set today? So it, it makes it easier to align incentives with people who are just naturally that way. Um, but there are still sometimes, and by the way, I never get this perfect in regards to hiring or even once I do hire them, uh, leading them in the right direction, um, which is why I have to learn how to apologize and say, sorry, I made a mistake, that sort of thing. But it gains trust with your team. And as you build a track record with that team, they start trusting your voice more. But also you as a founder have to be very, very good about logic and reason and almost detaching the idea from the person who gave the idea, right? Meaning you probably heard Steve Jobs say, the best ideas must win not politics, right? And so for us, same thing. Like there's plenty of times where I legit, like I almost call it hijacking other people's ideas. I'm like, there are times where my idea is worse than this other uh, idea from a first principles ground up thinking uh, perspective, like logic and reason. And I strip it away from my identity or this other person's identity. And sometimes my idea is better and other times their idea is better. I'm like, screw my idea, we're going with yours. So if you figure out a way to, um, from a almost like mathematical logic and reasoning perspective that's something that your team really starts gaining trust in you and then when you screw up just being very forward about it and uh, owning up to that but trying to do better the next time and at the end of the day you do still need to hire the world's best talent not everyone is entitled to become a billionaire startup founder and the market doesn't owe you that. And so at the end of the day, you just have to be effective to survive. And if you find like-minded people who care about that end goal mission, um, it's easier to align incentives from a logic standpoint. So on that note of hiring, any any kind of practical tips, either on you know how to source candidates um, or how to persuade a candidate to take a 70% yeah. pay cut. <laughs> I'm yeah. also curious, like when you say values is critical, I always feel like that's quite a hard thing to assess right in a in an interview process so any tips on like how to uh, how yeah. to you know evaluate candidates yeah so i'll start with that second part first just because that assumes that you found the candidate that's a little bit harder of a problem but uh once you once you have found a candidate uh that you do want to hire um just being very straightforward about hey we hire by these values and we fire by it too and i think it was vinod kosla who said in one of his uh stanford talks that he's been interviewing people for four decades tens of thousands of people he's interviewed and he only gets it right about 65% of the time. And so if he doesn't get it right 100% of the time, clearly I'm not going to either. And so there are times where people, you know, by virtue of them being in an interview, they, they are trying to sell you on the fact that they're a good fit for your company. And there are times where some people might embellish the truth and try to get through the process when they really don't embody one of these values. And so um, we hire and fire by that. We hire slowly and uh, we, we fire quickly, you know, which sucks. It's just the reality of how quickly startups can uh, I don't know if you think it. I don't know if you think it does suck. I I know this is kind of trite, but mm-hmm. yeah, like if it's not a good fit, it's not a good fit, and the sooner you can get there, honestly, the better it is for both parties. Yeah, well, I try I try not to be uh, cold hearted about it because I know that at the end of the day, like especially if you're, and maybe it's different at each startup. Like for us, for example, like I think it was Sam Altman who said, uh, working on hard startups is easier <laughs> because it's easier to pitch the right people. Meaning, it's if if, if you say you're if you're Elon Musk who's pitching you know, self landing rockets or like electrifying the earth yeah everyone's gonna be like that's freaking sick i want to be part of that and to be real they lower their financial requirements but if you say hey we're this like security compliance something blah 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 like insurance yeah. company or whatever it is they're like yeah. i don't give a crap like <laughs> right? it's so much harder you gotta you, gotta you gotta compete on uh conversation yeah. there yeah exactly yeah whereas for us like if we tell people we're trying to you know bridge the gap between people working from home and those who are in person and we want the future of work to be putting on a pair of glasses and you teleport to the office it's it's pretty um it's, it's pretty easy to win most people behind that vision right the, the hard part is yeah being able to identify who is bsing me and who's not in the interview process and so most of the time like i, I mean probably about 85 percent of the time it's us trying to vet 
if they are a good fit for us rather than them or, or almost the other way around. Meaning very few, very seldom do candidates say, I don't want to work there. The vast majority of candidates who, uh, and by the way, like we do outbound reach out to people. So it's, it's, it's not like these are all inbound. And of course they want to work there because they applied. It's no, it's actually the vast majority of people we interview, we reach out to because most of the people- That's who actually the- an interesting, just on the first part of that hiring question, right? Like how do you source candidates? So yeah. do, do you work with, uh, do you have like an in-house like recruiter or who, who on your team is doing this yeah. out there? So we're, we're only 27 people, but one in nine people are recruiters at Immerse. Uh, or actually, I guess technically more than that. So three are full-time recruiters at Immerse. And I think that's the biggest wow. startup hack ever. Um, but then including myself, maybe you can call me the- That's amazing. Wait, 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 wait. So three <laughs> out of 27 people are full-time yeah. recruiters? That's yeah, amazing, then, man. That is yeah. an unbelievable. So this newsletter, right, we have like sections. This is mm-hmm. one of the section headers. Like yeah. <laughs> three out of 27 people are full-time yeah. recruiters. And obviously- Make it four because it, me as well. Yeah. It's a huge part of, yeah. What percentage yeah. of your time like do you think is is allocated towards uh, hiring? It, it is seasonal, but in the seasons that I am focused on it, probably about 40 to 50%. It's a large chunk uh it's a lot yeah it's it's a lot around not only sorting through linkedin but yeah just kind of talking to people who know people or like if you're i not do, you're not doing cold outbound though for recruiting are you you're, i'm not so i'm personally not doing cold like, outbound. W- once you have like candidates then like you're chatting with them you're maybe doing well i guess let me or... let me reframe it the other way so so most candidates who are extremely competent and are already changing the world that you want to recruit they're probably not applying for jobs right now yes, right and so you exactly, have to you yeah. do have to go headhunt them and so if there is a person who um like for example I, i'm not gonna name names or the exact position because you could always just look it up but there was a person who was who was there in the early days of Uber who really supported the leadership in getting them to where they they were. And she's a freaking beast at what she does. To this day, I'm still trying to recruit her. She's so freaking difficult to, to get, but she did. Uh, Is she the one from the, uh, have you seen that Super Pump show? I don't think she was in that show. Uh, maybe okay. she was. Okay. Yeah, but there was, uh, a, she, there was a woman in that friend. show who was like a total badass. I wanted to vote her, but yeah. no, no, I, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I remember a woman who was a, a coder who was being like harassed and stuff, and that's a whole oh, yeah, conversation. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't her, yeah. So, yeah. but it was it was a it, it was more of a leadership type hire. And um, for me, just the amount of time like I spend sending content to them and like trying to essentially. Uh, get them to really um, be, like fall in love with the startup and really love the mission that we're on and like lower their requirements and they're like they're saying oh hey like i kind of did the startup thing and like you know i uh i can only now work max 50 hours a week and you know i'm trying to start a family and blah blah and it's like it's hard to so that's just like one example another example would be oh this person is a cto elsewhere already and i want them to come here to be uh an individual contributor developer and <laughs> just to eventually lead a department but going from cto to individual coder in one department like that's a hard sell so that's why that's why it takes a lot of my time it's not volume it's 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 quality for me the other three recruiters on my team they do do volume so for them for every one engineer we end up hiring they have they will have screened about 400 uh candidates so they sort through a lot of people um they interact and have conversations with probably 400 just people of the 400 uh they uh narrow it down to 60 that my team actually hops on the call with uh 30 minutes and then uh of those 60 about 10 of them do a coding or design challenge and of those 10 we pick our favorite one and so that is a 0.25 percent chance of getting a job at immersed for that portion and then for me when i'm headhunting specific leaders not only am i headhunting that individual person but i am also networking with the people around them and almost like being proactive with getting references just to make sure that it's the, the the perfect hire for us. So yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of people. I mean, again, you you probably if you watch any YC lecture or talks, they always talk about how important recruiting is. Um, but but I will say that uh, it has been the biggest life hack for us to um, have a disproportionately large amount of recruiters at our company, um, especially in the early stages as you're trying to develop the kind of the, the larger founding team that's going to help lead this company for Lord willing, you know, decades to come. That's amazing. So yeah, it it sounds like it, it seems to me that you way over index on like you know <laughs> in the early days for sure number of yeah. people or like yeah which yeah probably in the early days is more important right because it's like yeah there's less they set people, the tone like, in the culture so, yeah exactly yeah it's very very hard to change a culture kind of down the line well yeah the next the next couple of years um hopefully as you as you scale up to you know, 100 people like that's that's critical so yeah keep on keep on with that focus on uh on hiring as i'm sure you will when i when i kind of switch gears a little the community rounds you you did with us was super fun i mean you did too yeah you want to talk a little bit about 
I guess kind of how that experience was, you know, how you how you you've already kind of talked a little bit about, you know, how you executed on it, but and then I really want you to retell the story of uh, your mom because that's maybe my favorite <laughs> story from the history of WeFunder archive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I will say, kind of the core catalyst for those rounds exploding, I would say, is what I like to call a growth squad, right? So it's really just have like, especially if you're raising just a couple million dollars, uh, which I realize is not super easy. Like a lot of founders do really struggle to do that. But if you do have a core group of 40 ish people who really want, like, not only will they invest in your campaign, but they also really want your, your campaign to be successful. If they believe who are those vision. people? Are they your customers? Are they your employees? Are they like advice or like angel investors that have invested in the most previous? <laughs> well, so, are they your like best buddies from high school? So they're probably not, it's not, not commonly employees because, uh, these are people who would invest five to 10 K each. Right. So, I mean, it would, that's that's beast if you can get all your employees to put in five or 10K each. That, that would actually be really, really cool. For us, we had probably at the time for our first campaign, we had, I think, like eight people on the team and about three or four of them put money in. And then, so about half the team, but that's it's a small team to begin with, small sample set. And obviously, they already believe in the company. So, obviously, they put money in. But for the second round, we had about 14 people at the company and about probably like five people put money in. So, obviously, that went down with um, a conversion rate for the team. But um, that's not really the goal. The main goal is, trying to get people who um, don't even necessarily have nearly as much exposure to how risky it is who like because your team they're like okay well i believe in this mission but how do, how do we know that we're going to win so you're not going to like dump your life savings into this one startup what if, what if you're in the wrong startup what if you're in you know the number seventh best uh, version of this product well that they're, they're also that they're like wealth and like investments are already like way over indexed yeah, exactly. so it's like exactly. yeah yeah so whereas your friends and your family and your users and followers, those are people who, um, and, and maybe some angel investors, sure, if they happen to be those people, or if they just happen to be following your progress, if you went through YC or Techstars or whatever, those people, like they, they can kind of be whoever, but they, they particularly need to be high trust individuals, right? So meaning people who trust in your ability to execute. And oftentimes people, those people, they require seeing your execution over the course of months, if not years, right? So in our, in my sort of sort of $2 million round, uh, the I texted about 45 people and 40 of the 45 said that they did want to be part of this growth squad. So they put in at least, like as, as low as a thousand bucks and then as high as, I think one guy put in like 50K. And so hey, before- hey, Just to be super uh, tangible. So you, you texted these 45 people and were like, hey, mm -hmm. will you be part of my growth squad? Yeah, like, but they were people who at some point had expressed interest in investing uh, just almost like from a, a, a naive or ignorant standpoint of like, hey, I don't really know how startups work, but is there a way I could throw money in? If right. they said that at one point in the past two years, right. then I just had them in the back of my mind. Uh, oh yeah, this person told me that at one point. Let me just reach out to them, let them know this is what we're doing. And in that text, I did have a link to a video that would give them more information, right? Because I can only say so much in a text. And so I had an unlisted YouTube link that I sent them saying, so, so first off, the text said, hey, by the way, like, please don't tell anyone just yet. Like, I just wanted to extend this to you before I open this up to the public. Um, and, and again, this is all about crafting the message properly in such a way to create FOMO, but high trust and aligned incentives, right? So uh, from the receiving end, their incentive is to you know, they obviously want to have an awesome exit someday. And from your perspective, it's you're trying to maximize the amount of money that they would put in so that they're more and more financially obligated to your success and more motivated to see your uh, campaign be successful uh, in whatever way that they can add value. So uh, I sent this text to about 45 people saying, hey, by the way, just like I uh, want you to know that we're about to open up this crowdfunding campaign to the public. Don't really know how many spots will be available once the thing goes live. But uh, so that's the FOMO aspect. Um, and they say, but, you know, take a look at this video. No, no problem at all. If it's not a big, uh, if it's not something you're interested in, just want to make sure that because you and I have some of a relationship uh, that you have a chance to take a look at this before um, other people do. And so, and then also at the very end of parentheses, I put something along the lines of like, please don't tell anyone about this, right? <laughs> this is not public. And so, you know, adds FOMO. Um, it gives them optionality so that the decision is in their hands, not in, not you being a snake oil salesman or a car salesman, um, because people just don't trust that. Uh, you need to you need the decision to be in their hands. Yeah, and let the FOMO do its magic, right? So, in on that on that YouTube link, I went deeper into how in the history of Immersed, people would ask me if they can invest, and I've always said no because I know how risky startups are. And at the end of the day, like as I started realizing Immersed is going to start growing, COVID had hit. Facebook wanted to partner with us. Um, we had just a ton of people asking if they could invest. I realized that, you know, either I could just make rich VCs even richer, or I could allow all my friends and family who've been following our progress throughout the years, who've been supporting us to also take part in our financial upside. And Love I'd rather do the latter. Yeah. And so you kind of craft the message in a way that aligns incentives, builds trust. And then also kind of the third piece is that FOMO, like, hey, I should probably put something in so I don't miss out. Those three key things allow you to have a really successful campaign. I did that both times.
anything surprise you about the experience uh and and also like any kind of cool wins coming out of it however you define that yeah so i mean i think that some of the i would say the the, the blinds or the the part i didn't anticipate was like probably one out of one out of a thousand people like probably around that stat maybe two out of a thousand or one out of 1200 whatever the number is a like 0.1% uh, of people who put money in the campaign uh, will message me out of nowhere saying, hey, like, how come you haven't exited yet and made me a million dollars? They're like dead serious. Made me a million dollars. I'm going to sue you if you don't exit ASAP. And it's like, the crap, who's this? And then like, I would talk to the WeFunder team and they say, yeah, just go ahead and block them. You know, because we don't have any sort of legal obligation to give that person an exit. Like they check the box saying, hey, I know this is a volatile investment, et cetera. Anyway, so that's kind of the random outlandish thing that- uh, I've actually never heard of that before. So that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's amazing. I mean, in the past, uh, I guess, two and a half years since we raised our first campaign, I've maybe had seven people over the course of 3,300 or 3,400 people who invested in us. Yeah, so it's kind 30, of, it's not that 30, big a deal. 3,318 investors, it says. Of yeah, which, perfect. Of which uh, 928 left you a message, which oh, I feel like that, that ratio is really high. For Substack, it was like, I think one in six, one in seven for you. It's like, oh, wow. Three. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, again, that's the relationship, relational side, right? But uh, all that to say, like, that was kind of a, a random, like, I didn't expect that. But at the same time, like, that's just the internet, right? And so the question is, was the 10 million we raised on your platform worth it? Yes, for sure it was worth it. I could just block seven people and then raise the funds or you know, grow my startup. So not that big of a deal. One thing that I would say was an awesome win was having an army of you know 3,318 people out there who want to see your startup win. And so whenever we want to um, really kind of get a lot of people behind a social media push or whatever it is, I just blast those people in a ton that's of That's amazing, things. man. Yeah. That's, uh, that's it, awesome. That's my dream, right? Like yeah. <laughs> I, I posted this image on, on Twitter a while back and it was like a field full of black and white zebras. And then there was a rainbow colored zebra mm. and i labeled the black and white zebras andreessen horowitz Greylock, Kosler, mm. whatever like all the vcs and then the rainbow zebra was like thousands of your customers immunity mm. and the point of that image was you know you may think there's value in running a community round or not you can't argue it's highly differentiated versus every vc which is kind of shades of gray and they every vc has their own expertise and different partners have different value but like thousands of people like it, that is the differentiation and the value that we hope like running a community around on we funder brings which is yeah. you now have an army of thousands of people that yeah. you can put to work for you and so it sounds like for you it's like okay marketing promotion product launches yeah. these guys can be the army even enterprise customers yeah like that, these people that's always i'm always like really curious about that one yeah have you, yeah. Have you generated like leads from, from yeah so yeah just like we, I think at this point, we probably have had at least one user in all the global 2000 companies at this point. And so whether or not it was a person who knew a person who invested in Immerse, who then was a decision maker somewhere, like it brought in so many companies that wanted to talk about, oh, hey, like what would it look like for us to deploy headsets at scale, et cetera. Oftentimes, candidly, I would say, hey, you probably want to wait for the next headset before you do that. Um, just because I want people to have a good user experience. And candidly, these big brick things on your head are not what you want to have for in mass deployments, in my opinion. And so we're going to be working with, uh, I'll now make more announcements later, but uh, working to help solve that particular problem, um, not on our own with, with help. But um, that being said, like the fact that we had an army of people out there who were like financially obligated to our success, whether that be them push social media posts or, you know, hook us up with other VCs or have enterprise customers, uh, sort of inbound interest companies. Like there's just so many things that they can do where one VC who's going to fund your entire round, they can't really nearly do that. One thing I'll also add is it's, it's, it's heavily more founder friendly to go the crowdfunding campaign route or the community round route, in my what do you, opinion. What do you mean by that? Meaning, obviously, like, uh, you, you you do have to own the responsibility of your decisions, but you do get to decide your valuation up front. Um, you get do get to decide the terms of your round, how all that works out. Um, but at the same time, you also like if you price it way too high, it's not going to be as interesting as an investment. Um, or if you um, don't have a good product, well, you're not going to be able to get people to invest in the thing, right? So, but if you do do a good job with pricing your round properly, um, creating good products, creating a lot of strong buzz. Uh, honestly, like it gets around, like, you know, <laughs> this is crazy, but like we raised 12 million bucks to date and I'm still the sole person on our board, right? <laughs> like it helps me to just be able to focus on, and, and, and candidly, we, we don't you're have- You're talking about like a little bit from a valuation dilution perspective. Honestly, I think especially in this market, right? Yeah, And course. for me, it's like, you know, valuations were way too high in 2021, sure. I think yeah. they're probably too low now. We've like yeah. overcorrected now. Over probably the truth is somewhere in the middle. And so 100%. a little bit of, yeah, uh, kind of 
valuation inflation yeah. maybe because well, also yeah vcs are financially incentivized to lower your valuation so they get more ownership of your company like it's right. just the it's not a level playing field right they have all of the leverage and so this at least as a founder gives you at least some of the leverage right you still are right. at the mercy of the market if you don't price it well you don't win right. um but also, especially if you do a hybrid round with mixed VC, which is what we did, we had VC and consumers in there. And it, it, I mean, I think the hybrid round was ideal where uh, essentially we, we uh, a lot where I had a pitch to align incentives with this VC, meaning um, I told them, hey, like put a little bit of money in. And if I'm able to get you know X amount from this crowdfunding campaign, then you put more in and then I'll keep growing that community around and then you put more in. And so. Uh, that's what we did with Sovereign's Capital in that $8 million round. For mm-hmm. every million and a half that I raised uh, crowdfunded, they would put in 500K. And ultimately, they ended up putting in, yeah, 500K, was it three times, I think? Yeah. I think they did one and a half million at the end. But yeah. So every, sorry, every two and a half million that we hit, they would put in um, uh, more. And so it really helped supercharge our campaign, like just straight up nonstop for two weeks. Until we hit like the eight point one or eight point two million at that point, uh, which is really cool. So, well, I love love the examples of uh, yeah, you putting that army of three thousand three hundred eighteen people to work, whether that be on the marketing side or the um, you know enterprise customer lead generation side. That's that's the dream for me. Like if, yeah. if that starts to happen more and more, and we want to build more products around that and kind of like show founders like how to do that and really encourage them to do that more and show investors how they can proactively maybe add value. Then I think like it will become more and more of a no-brainer like well, even for B2B very, companies to do this yeah i'll give you a very uh, uh if you haven't already done this which i don't think you have because i haven't found out about this yet but um if you guys are building a product that is almost like a stream of uh my twitter instagram linkedin and immerse twitter instagram linkedin whatever and it's just a news feed for our investors for this particular investment where i don't have to constantly aggregate those links and then send it to them in quarterly blasts but instead it's just live and they can just like that's something that i know for a fact our investors want and i want right mm. so like if you were to build that particular product that's really one. cool man that's a yeah brilliant i mean it's idea. just it's just my need that's what i need right so i'm your user that's what i want please build that for us right so i'll just give you a couple of like if i essentially your only inputs are um my social media channels that i put in so i'll give you mine and immerse LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever. And then you just put that all in one stream. And then my investors can go in and go look at whatever, whenever they want. Love that. Last question. I'm curious, you can answer either one. Uh, Either, you know, one last kind of uh, super important, you know, secrets that you have learned uh, down the years running a mess or, or kind of, and it's probably related, but like something, a controversial opinion uh that you have about about startup let me think i'll say that well well, if i were to give you like a lesson that i feel like i've learned i feel like that i'll give you an answer that you probably heard elsewhere if you consume a lot of startup founder content um so i'll go with the more controversial one because people don't share this nearly as much uh it'll get more views if you cut this clip uh (laughs) (laughs) yay (laughs) you say (laughs) oh my gosh all right uh just the way you said that yeah so i think that Okay, this is going to sound kind of weird, but I'll just phrase it how I am and then I'll explain it. So I think that everyone can become a startup founder if everyone decided to become a startup founder. It sounds very like what you're talking about, of course. But I guess what I mean by that is um, a lot of people want to have the results of what a startup can give them, but they're not willing to put put in the work. So an example would be like a person might go so far as to apply for a startup uh, position as one of the larger founding team, maybe the first 10 hires. But when they're in the job and as the startup continues to grow and scale, they are not necessarily willing to continue to put in the work to personally scale alongside the startup. So uh, like I said, originally, this person or pretty much anyone, even a person who you wouldn't ever deem as a good startup founder or larger founding team member, um, they could go uh, become a startup founder, so to speak, but they just don't really decide to continue to conform to that um, identity in this season of life for whatever reason, right? And so I understand that life is not black and white. A lot of people have, you know, families to tend to and like, you know, X, Y, Z to do. But startups, I don't think have to necessarily be this perpetual Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk thing where you're doing it for 20 years necessarily. You could choose for these three to five years, I'm going to go freaking hard as crap. It's going to suck for everyone around me, but I'm going to let them know, hey, the next three to five years, I'm going to be a terrible friend. I'm going to be a terrible hopefully you don't say it'll be a terrible dad terrible husband but hey i'm not going to be i'm not going to be you know number one dad on earth for the next three years if i feel like this is a sacrifice that we as a a family can agree to and and it sucks it's a hard thing i think most people probably shouldn't do that um but especially if you're in your 20s or if you're single or whatever it is it's not going to affect nearly as many people around you um but in that process 
what that does is it, like I mentioned earlier, it'll almost become this uh, refining fire that in the end of it, you will have been become this sort of like refined person who has learned so much in this like short three year boot camp mm. of freaking hell, which sucked. Well, but then the problem is that you get addicted to it. And then it's like, you get to the end of the five years, it's like, eh, I can't really go work. I can't <laughs> well, really go work for Google now. Sorry. Yeah, I'm just going to yeah. like extend the five years. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very unhirable at this point, so I, I understand that. Uh, but you, what you that does, both. yeah. But but I think what that does is it allows you to um, learn how to do it better the next time, right? Meaning, I know what I would do differently. I kind of like I'm required to go through that hell because I don't know what the crap I'm doing, and it allows me the second time to be actually able to do something very similar, but this time have better relationships, be a better father, husband, whatever you want to be. Or yeah, at the end of the day, like, you know, or if you're single, whatever, like just be a better friend, whatever it is. But that being said, like, I think that people really need to have uh, do some soul searching before starting a startup. And in that soul searching, really decide, do I really want to spend the next three to five years really just like pounding my head against this wall? Grinding. Grinding and, and hustling. And, and I think a lot of people try to have their cake and eat it too during the process. And to be real, if you're trying to grow a high growth venture back venture backable tech startup uh, to become a unicorn company someday, I personally don't believe doing this sort of, hey, it's just a nine to five. I have good boundaries with my startup, blah, blah, blah. And like, I just personally don't think that that input will give that result unless you're doing it over the course of like 15 years and no one else in the world gives a crap about your space because it's probably not that big of a problem to solve. Because if it was a big problem to solve and there was money to be made, other startups will do that and they'll do it even faster than you will. So that's why I say for people on our team to not necessarily even have founder mentality, I specifically call it founder identity where it's, hey, this sucks. But for these three years, we are we are soldiers at this like the front lines of this battlefield for the next three years. After that, freaking quit, invest your equity, leave, whatever, or say, hey, like I'm kind of done doing this thing. I, I just need to work a nine to five, or you know, I'll fire you, rehire you, and you just do kind of like a nine to five type job at a merch or contract or something. But that being said, having people being part of your larger founding team, they really should consider: Do I want to be, go through hell for the first you know, three to five years, and am I willing to understand and own the the impacts that I'll have? everyone around me because it's a very and the thing is people will say yes i signed up i'm down whatever but they don't think through okay what's the think about the weathered version of you that's three or three years older than you are now who's kind of depressed kind of miserable kind of tired and kind of burnt out are you okay with being that person in three years being okay with the process and if so okay well then do it but don't realize don't uh, overlook how difficult of a process is going to be um it's not for everyone so i i love this is i can just imagine you like pitching a candidate and coming to a work for a mess it's like okay well you're going to take a 80 percent pay cut and it's gonna you're going to go through hell and well, I'll share the secret though. Th- in three years' time, the weathered version of you is going to be depressed, be yeah, numb, like life, exhausted, yeah. and you're going to hate your life. But here's the thing: this was but, so hey, funny. come back for a mess. It's great. <laughs> but here's the funny thing: so I do have that conversation with 100 of our candidates who make it to the final round. But I only talk about that in the final round. Meaning, the early stages of the process is getting them uh, enamored with your startup or in love with your startup to the point where they're willing to be open to that idea. If you bring that conversation at the at the forefront, then they're going to prematurely dismiss you they're gonna be like who the heck i'm not no i'm not gonna do that what but if it's a person who's just like holy crap this could become the next apple and they're like well you know what i do want to have that much reach and impact at a startup and i want to help build that next apple so in the end when you have that conversation so my last call with uh, our candidates is really an unselling conversation it's very controversial as well love that Love in that. that conversation, I tell them, hey, we're yeah. looking for people who don't give a rip about like the effects of what startups do to you because they care about the long lasting reach, impact and growth that they'll see here through the process. Uh, I unsell crazy hard on the last interview and the ones who endure to the end, they uh, they make it at the startup. So That's amazing. <laughs> uh, Renji, yeah. thanks so much for doing this, man. It's been honestly just a, such a rich conversation. Yeah. I have enjoyed appreciate every that. minute. I uh, appreciate you taking the time. I'm sure we'll uh, speak again soon and yeah, look forward to seeing what the rest of this year has in store for you guys. Yeah, thanks so much, man. I appreciate it, man. We'll talk soon. Awesome. See you. Bye.